0: Thank you, Richard. What a beautiful, beautiful song, and I can't think of any better setup that could be could have been given for my message than Tony leading us in worship with the praise team and Richard on that gorgeous song. Uh, our text comes to us today from Luke chapter two, verses six through twenty-one. Luke chapter two, verses six through twenty-one. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that you have gathered us on this day, this day that so many are either at home waiting to just to ride out a storm and others, so many are at just the malls and the stores home to get returns and good deals on uh, exchanges and, and discounted merchandise. Lord, we thank you that you have gathered us here to remind us of what is true, what is lasting, what is real in a world that has gone crazy and has lost sight of these things. Lord, we're content to look like the crazy ones as long as you are here with us. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters here who just braved the cold and the threat of weather, Lord, I pray that you will give them a special blessing and reward them for coming out with the satisfaction of having worshipped you, the joy therein, and a message from your word that speaks to their hearts and causes to live triumphantly and exultantly for you. Be with me, Lord, and just continue the grace that you have given in giving me uh, just respite for my laryngitis, and I ask that you just, for the sake of my brothers and sisters, give it to me to the end of service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's right, laryngitis. That was fun. So if I uh, have to take a swig now and then for my mug, please forgive me. You may be asking... It's a day after Christmas. Why are we still singing Christmas songs? In fact, why are we we just still on this passage that we've been on for the last three weeks and that in all reasonableness should have just ended on Christmas Eve? Why are we hanging out here? Isn't it time to move on? Is that your question? Is that your thought? Maybe you're not asking that, maybe you've already come to the answer saying, you know what, it's the day after Christmas, we're just still riding that Christmas high, so let's just, you know, one more day, one more day and then then everything will be thoughts about the new year and and back to Abraham and everything else. Um, So if the question is, why are we still on this? Let me pose the question back to all of you. Have you been encountering the living God in your personal worship in these last few weeks? You know, in this march, this countdown to Christmas that we've had, you know, Pastor John has been taking us through the importance of personal worship, your worship of God, the living God in your everyday life. How important, just what a prime spot it must have in the schedule and in the heart of everyone who calls Christ their Lord. Has your personal worship been fruitful? Has it been sweet? See, this isn't, this isn't the call to just, Christians, read your Bibles. Christians, pray. You know, we're, we haven't just coined a new phrase, personal worship, to just encompass what, what prayer and reading your Bible is. It's to give you a lens, a focus with which to understand the importance of what you have to do every day. C.S. Lewis said that the first business of every believer, every morning when your alarm clock is ringing and just the schedule, immediately your calendar pops up and the needs of the day rise up, the first duty is to push everything off and in a quiet moment turn to the Lord and to seek Him And He promises that those who seek Him will find Him. And there is wisdom to live by. I love that uh, Christmas card and that billboard you sometimes see. You know, wise men still seek Him. I mean, I know that doesn't have the word still up there, but you know, just that's that's the billboard. Wise men still seek Him. And so, it was a deliberate, purposeful move to extend our study of this passage just one more day, one more week. And to just be able to look back on what we've just had in our families, in our homes, in our churches, and in the wider community and world. And, uh, and John gave me the perfect segue last week with that illustration of that girl who was asked, you know, sweetie, did you get everything that you wanted for Christmas? And she thinks about it for a minute and says, no, but it's not my birthday anyway. I love that. I love that. That girl clearly had just at least that little facet, that little fragment of the story right, that it wasn't about her that day. You know, when I was growing up, and then through much of my arrogant, uh, you know, just uh, 20s, I got really fed up with Christmas. I thought, what? are we doing, especially as the church? I mean, can't we just have a month where we just focus on just the persecuted church or, or something else? I mean, why are we bought into this hallmark nonsense of commercial just giving? And, you know, I had a little, uh, little flashback of that yesterday. Through loving grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, it was an unending, present opening nightmare for my kids. You know, at a certain point, it's just like, it's just, oh, it's nice. Abby can't even list all the stuff that she's received. I am so sick of visiting Amazon for prices on LeapFrog and PlaySchool and Nintendo and just even Apple, my precious Apple. I'm sick of going and looking at prices on iPods because they never change. It's always $229. They might give you a gift card, but, you know, just other than that, it's still $229. And so, you know, before Google and Wikipedia, I wondered, was the whole premise of the gift-giving of Christmas just the whole three wise men and frankincense, uh, frankincense, incense, and myrrh, right? Okay, gold. Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. So was that the whole origin of this ridiculous thought? And, uh, yeah, hated Christmas for that. All right, just uh, this, these thoughts, these, uh, you know, they sound quite sophisticated, right? Someone who's just willing to shrug off this commercial stuff, but I was just being arrogant. You know, just, uh... but then the other thing, there were two things that annoyed me about Christmas every year. The first was commercialism. Then the second was, why do we have to remember Jesus as a baby every year? I mean, come on. He moved on. Let's move on. There was the three years of ministry that the Gospels wrote about. There were, was the week, the Passion Week, between Palm Sunday. There was Good Friday and his crucifixion on the cross. There was his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And then there was his appearance to apostolic witnesses. Shouldn't that be where we're focusing on? What is Jesus as a baby gonna do? You know, it's just, and so, and then things like a ridiculous Will Ferrell movie, Ricky Bobby, the the Ballad of Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights. He's uh, just this race car driver, just parodying the entire NASCAR world. If any of you uh, just uh, participate in that uh, unique part of Americana, um, and he's praying multiple times throughout this movie, and he prays, "Dear baby Jesus, lying in your ghost manger," all right. And so the thought that not, you know, grown-up, crucified, scary Jesus, but little cute baby Jesus. And, you know, just even that, the idea of just having our Savior be dragged every year through this baby stuff again and again. I'm like, why? Again, can't we move on? But it's here right in the Gospel, isn't it? this story, and this story gives us a lens for how to understand even this season of Christmas and how that understanding of Christmas causes us to worship God even more dearly and clearly. And that's what I want to take you through today. You know, this girl you know that uh, John mentioned last week, she understood the anatomy of gift-giving Right, that she wasn't supposed to be the one to get the major gifts because it wasn't about her there's someone who gives the gifts there's someone who gets the gifts and then there's a reason for the gifts she understood it's christmas it's about jesus all right and so maybe thought that in her way of understanding it's jesus who should receive all the praise the gifts and everything we're going to thankfully we grow up and there is room for sophistication and maturity and understanding, and so I want to bring you through that today. Just three things about gifts, because that's what we're seeing here, all right? I know we didn't pick the Wiseman passage, but bear with me. We have three things. The God of promises who sends the gift, the desperate ones who need the gift, and the gracious purpose of the gift— And so, let's look at this passage. Did you know that this is the only one in Scripture, the only one out of the four Gospels, that recounts the day of Jesus' birth? Matthew only mentions that Jesus was born. Mark and John completely skip over it. And even when Luke captures it, he only gives it 15 verses, of which only two describe the birth of Jesus, and the other 13 he spends on the shepherds. Luke said that he wanted to write an orderly account for his friend Theophilus so that he could believe, Theophilus could believe everything that he was hearing about Jesus. But why would the Holy Spirit prioritize things this way? Well, when we dig into God's Word, we see that there's, and this is well-covered territory for all of us, God keeps His promises. You know, we've been doing Genesis, and that's why I'm saying it's well-covered territory. Because God keeps on making promises to Abraham, even when He was just Abram, and He didn't have that aha in His name. So He was making promises to Abraham. Prior to that, He was making promises to Noah, and He made promises to Adam and Eve, didn't He? And Scripture... You know, just we know that from reading Isaiah seven, that God was going to give a sign: the virgin would conceive and bear a son called Emmanuel, God with us, and that the baby would be born in Bethlehem Ephratah, because where David come, came from, that the ruler of Israel—this was in Micah five—the ruler of Israel would come from Bethlehem Ephratah. And so, what we see is God keeping promises to his people, promises that he was going to be darn sure to keep. And so that's the first person we see, the God of promises. And what did he promise? He promises to David that one of his descendants is going to sit on the throne. He promises to Moses that the Israelites, that he would never abandon them and that all the nations would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. That was the promise to Abraham. He promises Noah he would never flood the world in wrath again. He would withhold his wrath. And he promises to Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And so in the birth of Christ, in the gift of his only son, we see God fulfilling every one of his promises to his people in all history, in all time. And then we get to the desperate ones who need the gift. You know, this is where the shepherds come in. But this is also where we come in. You know, the first message that I gave to this church in uh, 2009 was about the importance of knowing your story. Now, importance of knowing your story sounds like an arrogant statement because it's like, oh, well, then you get your own little VH1 storyteller's biography time life is about you in your story. But no, the whole point is know your story and where it is in the great story. And the great story of God has its main characters in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this is why we're thankful for 13 verses spent on the shepherds. Because the shepherds represent us. You know, how, do you, how does that happen? How does that work? You know it's a common literary uh, just tool to give someone a reader a way to understand the greater story. One reason that Harry Potter is just so ridiculously successful is that people can sort of get Harry's starting point. See, you don't love Harry Potter if you didn't start with book 1. Book 1, he's this ordinary kid living this horrible horrible life with his aunt and uncle who hate him and you know, just, that's life. He's miserable. But then, incredible things start happening. And you go through the perspective of someone who's just very ordinary, but going through these things. And so now you have a way to understand. That was the brilliance of J.K. Rowling. But let me tell you, she was just ripping, ripping off another British author. And uh, at this point, if you haven't rented Lord of the Rings, or if you haven't read the book series, the trilogy, go out and do it. It'll make 2011 so much easier between you and me. All right? But Tolkien did this. He wrote a draft of The Lord of the Rings, and it didn't have any hobbits in it. And you're kind of thinking, in his description, hobbits are really ridiculous, ridiculous people. They're short, and they're practically as round as they are tall. They're just fat, obese beings. He didn't have hobbits in the beginning. But then he wrote them in. Because people couldn't relate to this incredible, fantastic story. Apart from real, ordinary people who loved really ordinary things. This is where the shepherds come in and where we rejoice. And all the songs that we sing with shepherds, two or three, already right here. We are thankful. Now, we have these lovely and noble pictures of shepherds, don't we? In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And so God himself is pictured as a shepherd. And David, the king, was first a shepherd. But let me tell you that the ancient world did not have such a glowing picture of shepherds. Shepherds were considered lowly people that, you know, their, um, their testimony was not even regarded in legal matters, all right, so you couldn't trust them, and so they weren't even allowed to be witnesses for just anything in court. And, uh, and there's just no, no glory to this occupation. You're out there with the animals. No fancy ranches, no cornmeal or whatever that you feed sheep. You probably don't do that to sheep, but I don't know. All right, but back then they didn't have any of that. All right? They were the outcasts of the world. And it is to these lowly, despised people that the angels wrapped in the glory of God appear. These guys get to be Jesus' first birthday party. I mean, Doesn't this sound like an episode from later on in his life when people asked him, why are you hanging out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors, these sinners? Even from the day of his birth, He was showing where he would be spending his heart and his life. He said to those people that were saying, what are you doing? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's the shocking thing about Christmas, that Christmas is necessary because you are a sinner the thing that no Hallmark card and no TV special ever spends time on, that this was a child born to die. Because we are such desperate, needy ones. Who is it that needs a Savior but those who are desperate, who are dead without someone, who can come and rescue them? And so... In the shepherds we see our needy selves and are very glad because we see that Jesus does not judge us favorable and then come to us. He came to shepherds and not kings or teachers so that we would understand that it is God who chooses us and not we who attain salvation. So we must ourselves see that we are those who have nothing to bring and yet we're invited to witness Christ. And so we get to the last point of seeing the gracious purpose of the gift. I've talked about this already, haven't I? I won't belabor the point. We know Jesus came to be the Savior, but how would He go about doing this? We see hints of this in the angel's chorus and in the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. And this is why I'm so thankful that Luke recorded these things. The mighty army of angels, literally a multitude in Greek, is declaring glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. You know, it's an irony. That's a, it's an army of angels declaring peace. But that's what Christ has come to do. He has come to end the war between us and the Father, remember the war that began in the garden with Adam and Eve, in their sin against their creator, Christ has come to declare peace. He is the peace, peace child who would br- bring the shalom of God to those on whom his favor rests. And by doing this, Jesus would bring the greatest glory to God in the highest places. But, but how would he do this? Through his suffering. You see, all those Hallmark cards again show nice pictures of a healthy baby. All right, just, you know, a, a Campbell's Soup label, you know, just fat, chubby baby, you know, in the manger. Nice, clean, dry, all right, swaddling cloths and the nice, clean hay. And he's looking pretty happy in there. All right. Probably not the case. All right, let's think about it this way. We can surmise from Joseph's, Joseph's action of wanting to quietly divorce, his, uh, divorce Mary that Jesus would have been a child of questionable um, just uh, reputation because his mother had a, was pregnant outside of marriage. He was poor and the son of a carpenter, and carpenters were only slightly above shepherds on the whole just pride of vocation scale. So no uh, home and garden TV or do-it-yourself network TV or whatever where these guys are just ripping apart houses and these are the burly men. No, back then, these were the common people who just did what no one else wanted to do. He would be a Nazarene, all right? The shunned corner of a country already subjugated and taken over by the Roman Empire. And Luke's short words about the birthplace speak volumes. Again, what do you envision when you think manger? Do you think of a nicely lit, cozy place, again, like those aforementioned greeting cards? Or a functioning barn with animals? No running water. Horrible sanitary conditions. And honestly, have you ever tried sleeping on hay? All right, I have, once, and I'm never going to do it again because unless you're wearing really thick clothing or like I don't know what you would have to wear those things poke into you all right and you have to like cover yourself completely because it's poking at your neck this is what Jesus came and endured all right god is god he knew that better times were coming running water obgyns sterile environments all right nicus and all those other things that, darn it, we won't have a baby without in America. And, you know, and I'm not gonna go into much detail, but this is one thing I do. Have you ever seen a baby being born? All right? Prior to that moment, and I'm not talking on Discovery Medical or whatever that channel is, prior to seeing a baby being born, you have no idea what a horrific, nightmarish thing it is, that that is how we come into life, with blood and just nine feet of umbilical cord, you know, eight of which you've got to figure are just completely unnecessary. And Jesus endures all of this. You see, people think that Jesus started enduring suffering during his passion, but the true christmas story that tells us that no he started experiencing his suffering the moment that he left his father's side. We see that even from his birth he was suffering for us. He would be perfected as our savior through suffering. And if we needed one more thing to see this, we turn back to the shepherds. See, these weren't shepherds of wool producing sheep that corner of Bethlehem there was one purpose for the sheep they were the Passover lambs the Passover lambs that the area that Judah raised to sacrifice to God every year to remember God sparing the Israelites from the angel of death in the land of Egypt and then with Jesus Christ we see what his cousin, John the Baptist, said upon seeing him at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, our Savior, born in a manger amongst all of these other Passover lambs, and he would be our true Passover lamb the one and only. God's purpose was to make peace between himself and us. But there is only one way to do this. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so we see right from the manger, the road to Calvary, we see right from there that the true response to Christmas is to be a little disturbed at first because this baby was born to die for our sins. But as we think upon our Savior, being disturbed turns into delight and what Tony wonderfully said at the beginning, into confidence and hope because we see that He chose to take every step toward that cross for our sins. And this is the heart of it. We love Christmas because it is the Gospel. We love Christmas because we love Jesus Christ. And so my reflection is, Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ our Lord. You see, and that is where personal worship meets us. You must go forth realizing this and then go into the world because you have no ability to meet sadness. You have no ability to meet success. You have no ability to meet other people and teach them and encourage them or learn from them if you have not spent this time thinking about the gift of our God to us in our Savior, Christ our Lord. And so worship Christ, our newborn and our risen King. Isn't it wonderful how Richard's song took us not just in the manger, but to the cross as well. And so for the Christian, and this is why now no longer hate Christmas, despite all its rampant commercialism, but I love it because for every Christian, we keep Christmas and Good Friday and Easter Sunday with us every day of our lives as we await the return of our Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, you have given us every reason, as you have given the shepherds every reason to come and adore Christ. And yet how much more we have been given those reasons. The the shepherds just had a host of angels and your glory filling up the night sky and a declaration of peace and the reality of the newborn Savior. But we have the crucified and risen Savior and the glory of him who dwells in us, who has not made a manger his home, but our hearts. And so, Lord, speak to us every day And remind us of reasons. The reasons that you have given to us in your word to come and adore you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. This last song that we're going to sing, it's not a Christmas song, but it says, everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. That light that the angels, that the shepherds saw in those fields that we now have in our hearts. Christ, who lives in our hearts, is the light who is present in our hearts, and so His light will never fade. And so go forth into this reality with hope and confidence. Please rise and let us sing this song. Enjoy together.